You are listening to the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network. Visit PencilandPaperProductions.Podbean.com to find more great podcasts. Welcome to the Palace of Mega Pixels. This is Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo! Everybody and welcome to Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo. I'm your host, Stephen White. With me, as always, my co-host, Lacia Finley. Happy Monday! And joining us this week in the Palace of Megapixels is an author, podcaster, game historian who serves as a researcher and consultant for the Video Game Pioneers Archive Oral History Project of the Smithsonian Institute. In 2019, he released a book, They Create Worlds, the story of the people and the companies that shaped the video game industry which is the first of three books that chronicle the creation and evolution of the industry. They Create Worlds is also the name of his blog and podcast, creating an all-encompassing look at the video game industry from every perspective imaginable. We are excited to welcome to the show, Alex Smith. Hi, thanks for having me. Not worthy. <laughs> list of credits right there. Uh, even, <laughs> I, even I was impressed. <laughs> That's my goal. That's my goal. I want to. I want everyone to realize how important and amazing their achievements are. So if I can make it sound better than you think it is, hey, that's fantastic. I think it's impressive. I think it's impressive. Oh, for sure. Well, thank you. Welcome on in. Now we'll probably dig in a little bit deeper later on today, but uh, the first we get to steal them the whole time, right? Yeah, we we got we got you the whole show. So I want to I want to start the show off right and ask you what games you've been playing. Well, you know, I really I play a lot of Final Fantasy XIV these days. Uh, I, it's it's nice to be able to play something that I can you know just pick up do for a few hours. Don't can't do the you know five ten hour marathons of gaming that I used right. to do in my younger days. Hmm. Uh, so I, I raid a lot in that. Uh, also been uh, playing the uh, remastered Mass Effect trilogy because nice. I love me some Mass Effect. Fem Shep all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your first time playing Mass Effect, or oh, are you just oh, now no. revisiting? No, no, I'm re- yeah. right, exactly. I'm revisiting with the remasters. No, I, I love those games. That's definitely some of the best uh, sci-fi video games I've, I've ever played. The world building is just so incredible. I need to dive in. I was planning do. on doing it this time, <laughs> um, but when it released, I heard some iffiness about the PC working properly, so I was like, maybe I'll give it a minute and visit back. Uh, but it sounds like they've had a few updates, so maybe now I'm... Yeah, they've had some patches. <laughs> no, no, they've had some patches. I never had any trouble with it, because I, I did buy it on PC. Uh, you know, okay. there were a few minor glitches that they did uh, did clean up on it. But no, it, it runs, at least so far for me, pretty well. I'm still in the first game. Can't speak for oh. the second and third yet, but... I need to, I, I, I want to dive in. They're so good. You need to. I can't believe I waited this long. <laughs> I, can't, I really can't. <laughs> right up my alley yeah i mean you know they, they didn't reach all their lofty goals with it i mean you know the idea of the game of course was that you're playing the character through all three games and your choices mm-hmm. matter and your choices matter through the whole series and for some of the choices uh they accomplish that 
others they were kind of like oh we we set this up and now this is too complicated to like do so many branching paths through two more games so we're just gonna pretend that it always happened this way no matter what you chose right but it's, it's still they do it better than anyone else has managed to do the the choice thing across three the choices games. matter so, yeah it so does. yeah so yeah it, it works pretty well i mean some of it's a little dated now 10 years later but uh you know the, the graphical updates uh you know mm-hmm. help a lot with that certainly that's great i do too what day i might also want to wait for a sale i don't know <laughs> i have a love hate with ea <laughs> Yeah. Fair. Where it's fair. like, I, I, I like some of it, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm just glad that they caved and are finally putting things on Steam, because yeah. I, I, I did not like having my game library, you know, segregated like that with I Origin. I don't like the Origin app. Yeah, no, no. I can't remember the last time I've opened it up, and it didn't need an update that broke something, <laughs> and then I was like, well, now I just can't get to my games for a day, and then the next day it'll be fine. It'll just update like normal. Like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it tur- turns out that uh, building and supporting an online marketplace and a game gaming platform is, is harder than it looks, huh, EA? What? <laughs> Ace, what about you? What have you been playing? What have I been playing? Okay, I, I kind of took it easy this week. I went back to Two Point Hospital. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> because a uh, DLC went on sale, like this uh, movie DLC, and it kind of reminded me of the movies that I used to love to play. I want to say it was maybe early 2000s, might even been late 90s now, I can't remember. And I was like, you know what, let's give it a shot. Apparently I wasn't even far enough in the game to reach that DLC, so I sat here the last couple of days trying to beat enough hospitals to get to the thing that I wanted to play in the first place. But it was fun. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I had a good time with it. And I planned on playing that Unmetal because when we were watching the the E3 slash Games Fest, I'm going to get them confused when when we're talking about it later, by the way. I blame you, Jeff Keighley. uh, (laughs) uh, But I never got around to playing that one yet. But I haven't downloaded it, and I think that's what I'm going to try today because it looked funny. I want to check it out. They had a free demo, so why not? What about you? I took it easy this week, man. I I just... I, I. I think I played just Assassin's Creed, Valhalla, and finally have been pressing through on the story. I was like, I've got to just focus here. So story, 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 story. I'm getting there. Yeah. I still feel like i got a long ways to go, but I'm getting there. <laughs> it's a long game, and I've played it way too long already. And and there's more coming. They just announced that yep. Siege yeah. of Paris DLC on the way. Mm-hmm. I thought of you. I was like, oh, he's going to have to keep moving. You got but more you, stuff coming. But you see, I tried to watch that, and YouTube said no. It, it didn't want me to watch it. It just kept giving me this little ring, and then I'd move to another video, and I could watch it, and I'd come back to that. and Just a ring hmm. and a ring and a ring, and I was like, I guess I don't want to see it because they're going to entice me to play it more, and I don't want to do that. U- Ubisoft so, was like, you're not ready yet. Go back, right. finish the game, <laughs> then we'll let you, you see this. <laughs> right. You cannot handle this yet. <laughs> So I appreciate YouTube looking out for me. It doesn't want to get me <laughs> yeah, too far. Spoil in. your future, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, since we've got so much news as far as E3, oh Summerfest, and this stuff is still going, let's just dive into it. Lace, what you got so talking, far? As we're talking, as we're talking, yeah. So there was a couple of bigger news this week that I thought was uh, could generate interesting conversation before we dive into all of the joy that was whatever we're going to call Game Fest E3 weekend (laughs) now that everything's on top of each other. Uh, But hey, Microsoft actually put out a pretty cool one. This is what I'm wondering for like, if not to 
break the illusion. We're a little ahead of maybe some of the announcements. But (laughs) on last Thursday, Microsoft announced some pretty big plans to keep Xbox Game Pass growing in its sphere. Uh, They're working with TV manufacturers around the world to embed the Xbox experience directly into internet-connected TVs. So in theory... You should be able to pick up a controller and be able to play Xbox without a console. Um, It says no additional hardware, but I have to add, you probably need a controller. Yeah. Just a thought. I don't know. I don't know if we've gotten there yet. Maybe maybe (laughs) Kinect's coming back. Maybe the televisions will ship with a Kinect, too. Honestly, I thought the Kinect was really good. (laughs) It was the better camera tracking of the consoles, really, in my opinion. I haven't seen anything new about that. Um, But they also announced some new subscription offerings for Game Pass to allow more players globally to experience the game. So they are kind of opening it up to some new countries here that I guess it wasn't previously offered to. Um, So it's broadening its service base to Australia, Brazil, Mexico, and Japan later this year in 2021. Get some more people in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so cloud gaming seems like something everybody is wanting to dive into here in one form <laughs> or the other, whether it's working or not, is yet to be kind of in the air. Uh, so, I mean, do you think with this new service now being offered directly into the TV that that could actually... I'm still hung up on internet connections. Well, yeah, same here. I mean especially in the United States. I mean, we're such a mm-hmm. we're such a big country that there is so much real estate that doesn't have good internet. That last right. mile is a long one. I I just can't see how how the infrastructure is ready for it. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean, I I don't think it's going to take off yet. I mean, I th- I think it's an inevitable future, but sure. I mean, we have we have to get the infrastructure there. Right. That's that's been my problem. What 16 megs is about average in the states yeah give or take yeah and you and you've got rural areas that just barely have anything um yeah you know they they buy games (laughs) too where i live yeah no i mean we finally got some decent internet around here but it seemed like it was a a a trial just to to get it yeah and i was even surprised where it came from it didn't come from one of the big conglomerates it was actually a local company that took Mm -hmm. the initiative and it was like oh wow okay so, it's what you'll need, I think. Yeah. Someone but to like create the com- competition in that space that'll force them to kind of start laying new lines and getting sure. it updated. Yeah. But I think Microsoft actually has an advantage over Amazon and Google mm-hmm. because they have games. They have yeah, a huge a library. library. So if they can manage the tech, they have the games unlike those two others so i'm not saying it'll be a hit but i think they they'll have a better shot at making this succeed than say google oh because yeah Yeah. everyone's kind of forgotten about amazon luna i mean no one talks (laughs) about it even actually release I, I don't really know (laughs) like i feel like we heard about it they did a beta and then i mean it's still there is They're still okay? selling controllers, but it's just... <laughs> but, but but that's all you need to know, right? I mean, this is a yeah. video game podcast, and you're like, did it? Did it? <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's probably a bad sign. Yeah. yeah. For their marketing, when I'm actively looking for gaming news every week, and then that's still not crossing my mind. <laughs> but how many how many weeks do we ever talk about Google Stadia? That's Unless true. Well, they're going me... under. 
They are, and I think that's why. And like again, I thought that was such a fantastic idea. It was just how was it going to be executed in a way to make a lot of sense. And of course, when they're just not adding things like a search bar, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. This one, though, has a little bit of an advantage, though, because later this year, they also plan on the Microsoft end here to have cloud gaming added directly to the Xbox app on PC. Mm-hmm. So it will also be added to Xbox consoles. They're saying you can try out these games before you even download them. Wow. So that's a nice little advantage if you have the console. You could kind of test it out if you like it before you fill up your hard drive on it or however you do. Because um, they wanted to throw out some stats, of course, to make you feel like this is this is the future, guys, and this is why we know about a thing. With this announcement, they released that 30% more genres and 40% more games overall were played by Game Pass users. So they're, they're letting you know, we're getting the games in front of eyeballs here, people. 90% of subscribers told Microsoft they played a game they otherwise would have just overlooked. So they're like, hey, we're actually getting people to play games they probably wouldn't have played before because of our service. And I kind of agree with that. I mean, I tend to poke around more on a service that I probably just got to see what's there to use it up. Like, I feel like I got to use some stuff, so why not try this out? Probably find a new favorite. Um, And that the engagement with Xbox Game Pass titles on average is up more than eight times when they go on Game Pass uh, or when they don't go on Game Pass. So, like, we're, we're having the engagement even, they say. So <laughs> they also said subscribers are spending more. <laughs> Who knew? 50% more than non-subscribers. Which you, okay. I don't know why in my head I would think psychologically it would be the opposite. <laughs> but I guess you're already in the service, so you're going to keep spending. You'll like it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but Th- Think yeah. about all the free games we get from all these subscription services that we never okay. play, mm-hmm. but we have them. <laughs> Just in case. Right. So if you ever do come back around to it, it's either a blessing or it's just a game you've forgotten. It's on the shelf and you're like, eh. That's true. In this day and age where we've got more games than time. Mm -hmm. I know I've got a backlog that's just never going to happen. I think I've just realized it's just not. I'll get around to some of them, but some of them I just won't even remember that's even there. (laughs) But adding to that, they also plan to release one first party game every three months. So I'm sure maybe more will be coming out in the next coming days if they have some more announcements and stuff while we're still kind of wrapping up some of the festivities. But I think it sounds kind of cool. Again, I just have to see how it's executed and how well people can use it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Some of those features seem pretty cool, personally. Yeah. And I don't know how I feel about this one. Supposedly, we have a new publisher in town which we kind of came out announced this week they've been around for a while but i guess wanted to officially put their hat in the ring as far as uh we're doing premium games now but coke media announced during games fest that a new publishing label which they're calling prime matter whose aim is to be premium of course or a premium game label along with this they revealed they'll be publishing 10 playstation games including Payday 3, which is the only one that seemed notable that they were really talking about. So this is, I guess, coming down the pike. What games? Mm. Mm. Payday. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, when I was looking up Coke Media, uh, they're a German-Austrian media company headquartered in Austria, um, and they currently operate video game publishing labels like Deep Silver, apparently, Ravenscourt, and now Prime Matter. 
Um, and they apparently have some developing teams too, like Warhorse Studios and Milestone, which I will admit I hadn't heard of before, but they also distribute films, Coke Media, obviously. So now, uh, I guess with Payday 3, they agreed to publish the game and 18 months worth of post-launch content back in March. So apparently we have already kind of heard about this a little bit. Uh, but they were looking for a while to like, you know, Payday 3 had a little bit of issues. Mm-hmm. getting itself going <laughs> so apparently they were looking for this for a while and then coke media is like hey we're gonna be premium we'll publish this i'll s- i don't know i don't know i'm like i'll keep my eye on it but like yeah how to feel about having a, a, another one that's only going to be on premium labels like i don't know i hear premium and i hear monetization these days and i just go eh. yeah i mean they've been trying to establish themselves for a few years uh particularly mm-hmm. when when thq was broken up they uh they acquired a lot of those assets, but mm-hmm. they, they really haven't gotten much traction that, that I've seen. They're kind of flitting around the edges. I don't, I don't know that Payday 3 is going to be the one that launches them. Be that them savior. To the <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I played too. I liked it, but. It's not going to break the internet and right. the gaming world. It's like, okay. Yeah. I guess we'll see. I mean. I guess with Publisher, it's always kind of hit or miss on how involved they actually are in the making of the game. Are they throwing out money? Are they actually helping develop it? Some do both. Um, Sounds like they'll just be kind of a money machine right now for it and see what happens. Um, But, heck, I think we're still looking at a way far off before we see a release date on any of the games that were sort of even mentioned in the article. So I guess just put a pin in it, keep an eye on that space, see what happens. (laughs) But here, here, here's one where I had probably a little bit too much joy kind of writing, and I apologize. But EA was hacked. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. But look, we all have our reasons. So apparently this week it was announced they had a little bit of a breach. They had a little bit of a breach. And for me, the story got more interesting when I was reading how it was oh, breached. Do tell. <laughs> Oh, man. So uh, I was reading this article here. So that the hackers responsible apparently were pretty forthcoming, I guess, with how they did this. Um, and they were allegedly able to break into EA's network by tricking one of its employees to provide a login token over Slack, which I think is kind of like a Microsoft Teams thing, you know, like those channels that you can chat in, all this kind of stuff. Um, so I was reading it on Motherboard, Vice's Motherboard. So they had spoke to the news outlet with a representative on the online chat and explained that first they purchased stolen cookies on the dark web for like 10 bucks, which I didn't know was a thing. I cleared mine the other day out of fear <laughs> when I saw how easy this was, like anybody wants anything on my PC, but whatever. Um, but... <laughs> They then used these cookies to gain access to a Slack channel used by EA internally. So maybe we should clean those from time to time if you work in a company like this. I don't know. Uh, But the stolen cookies allowed them to gain access to the Slack channels. Then from there, they reported that an ex-engineer from the company had left a list of them. Like, I think that's where they got the cookies. They just, like, had a list of them in some repository or whatever. Computer magic, guys. I don't really know how people get into what with where. I I would have never even thought of this. So brilliant minds. If we could only use it for, like, 
good. Um, but, <laughs> but once they were in, they just messaged EA's IT saying that I left my phone at a party the other night. And so I can't get in with my auth token because I don't have my phone. So they asked for a new one to which they were provided it. And then they were in. And from here, was able to just start kind of snooping around, poking around. They created a virtual machine where they could see even more of the network. And then just started downloading source code for FIFA 21 and the Frostbite engine, which totaled about 780 gigabytes worth of data. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I just like when I was reading that, oh my God, if I was that employee right now, I'd probably be panicking so hard. Oh boy. <laughs> the IT that was just like, here you go, here's a new auth. Like, oh my God. Doesn't see, they're trying to say no player's information was leaked. I would still change your passwords anyway, just, I don't know, that, with origin. That's what they always say at first. And then a few weeks mm. later, they're always like, oh, by the way. Well, of course they're going to downplay the situation because, of course, you would. You don't want people panicking and all this kind of stuff. But I don't know. Was employees information, too? Like, I I worry about, you know, the devs that are doing all of the work for you guys. Are they safe? Like, did they get doxxed or anything? Supposedly right now, no. But I don't know. So it's going up on the dark web for quite a pretty penny, though. So... 28 mil was I think the last I saw was one of the bids for all of this so Can that could a, be fun pretty big uh, pretty big crowdfunding campaign to, to get that together <laughs> right <laughs> I don't know where these people come up with the money all of a sudden when these things are stolen because I feel like this year people have had more time to sit around and steal things from devs because I feel like we're reporting something being hacked at least once a month for I mean, the last year. I mean, you know, I hear Activision Blizzard has a lot of money. Maybe maybe they'll sneak onto the dark web and <laughs> buy some frostbite. Do a little, do a little industrial this. espionage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to know about this IT person. How incompetent do you have to be? Because going through IT at my job mm-hmm. seems like a nightmare. The things you have to do to get anything done. And it takes forever, and yet this person just calls them up and I think done? Yeah. I mean, if you had, I guess, enough information, I don't know, man. I don't know what goes through your head in moments like that because you probably, like, if they had just enough information to make you think it was the guy that you've known for a long time, things happen, it's fine, let me help you out. Uh, it's just it's so hard with fishing nowadays like you could do it in person over the phone like clearly (laughs) email that's been around for a while but I don't know so I'm just hopeful that everyone's like legitimate data your personal information was safe even though this kind of you know sucks for EA and them because you know this could create some other hacks that people create for your games exploits for multiplayer games you know so like with pieces of that engine that's where we'll probably be seeing a lot more cheater things going forward if you play a lot of multiplayer EA games. Let's just put it that way. It's probably yeah. going to happen. Um, and all of this coming off the heels of earlier in the week when EA CEO says, we're all just being really stupid and over-sensationalist with our criticism, us journalisms, of his pay-to-win tactics. They're not pay-to-win. We're just scaremongering people. Says the billionaire to us lobbies that we're not scamming you and it's not pay to win. 
So don't believe these headlines that are just trying to make you believe that we're these evil, horrible people. <laughs> and then continues to say flat out, you'd pay $60 for a game, play it for four weeks and move on. Well, what, well, what fun is that? You, you are, you're spending 200 to $300 on a game a year for basic games as you said us basic people who don't want to do multiplayer we're basic <laughs> and uh yeah so apparently us spending that two three hundred dollars a year on new games to just play and then leave alone that was just a, it wasn't fulfilling for us so they had to oh. add this mechanics in the game to keep us interested and engaged for longer so we feel like we're getting more out of our 60 dollars by the way do you not buy a new fifa every freaking year <laughs> So uh, is that another $60, or do we get that for free now? Because we already invested in your multiplayer game. This is true. I mean, you make a good point. <laughs> I mean, sometimes EA just has to save us from ourselves. I mean, you know, clearly. Hmm. More surprise mechanics for us is what it looks like. <laughs> they know what's best for us. They really do. We weren't you know. being engaged enough with our single-player experiences. He wanted us more engaged. Who knows how we play games better than us? A company. Right? The suit at the top. Yeah. Of course. All, through, all, through all that data they collected on Origin, no doubt. True. Yeah. <laughs> when and, it works. And it's probably now somewhere on the dark web. <laughs> it's probably now <laughs> on the dark web. Yes. Change your passwords, people. <laughs> Change them now. Uh, so, yeah. So, basically, he was just telling us he'd rather have your um, lengthy engagement over your quality engagement that keeps paying you over time. But we're just being overly critical. It's sure. all the games journalist's fault for making it overly sensationalized. Oh, but I'm not done. Oh. With oh. EA. Oh, no. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Call oh, now. There's always more with them when it gets started, I tell you. It's also announced that the new Battlefield 2042 will not even have a single-player campaign mode when it launches in October. Oh, yeah. They want to focus on that multiplayer. Remember, your quality engagement. <laughs> they want your quality engagement. Uh, so they will put their focus solely on a multiplayer campaign, which supports 128 players on PC, PS5, Xboxes, the PlayStation 4s. Uh, <laughs> the director, though, of Battlefield, Daniel Berlin, explained why there isn't even one in there, saying, if you look at the DNA of the studio, we, what we've been doing for so long, we just said, you know, we're not going to have a traditional single-player campaign this time around. We're going to put all that emphasis on those resources into building depth into the multiplayer <coughs> cash because that is what we do best. Right. It's also going to be 70 bucks, by the way, because it's that new premium pricing that we're going to pay now for everything being more expensive. Mm -hmm. Because it's all worth it. Right? <laughs> I don't know, siblings. What do you think at home? Do you think this is a good idea? Do you play Battlefield? Are you a little sad you're not going to at least have that one single player to yourself that you should be able to just have for the price before you move on to the multiplayer? I don't know. I never played it. I've played multiplayer games that I've enjoyed at least having that single player experience that I could play for myself and then move on if I like. Are they giving us less for the same price? I would argue that... <laughs> How to put this? <laughs> I would pay 70 bucks for something like Ratchet and Clank, a Drift Apart or a Rift Apart, because I'm getting a story, I'm getting a game, I'm getting all this stuff, and it's worth the money I'm putting into it, versus a multiplayer game playing with a bunch of cheaters. Oh, but I'm sorry, they're That'll real gamers. Soon. <laughs> they're real gamers, I'm not a real gamer. No, we're not real gamers. Because I don't play a certain way. So, 
you know what? I'm, I'm going to go off on a rant. Just continue. I used to play Sims, <laughs> so I'm not a real gamer either. You know? Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm used to it. I just play along with the gatekeeping. Like, you're right. <laughs> How could I do, do that? But, hey, let's talk some Game Fest, right? And E3. Because that was kind of the biggest bulk of stuff this week. I wrote down some stuff I'm excited about. If I don't, you know, throw out a game maybe either of you are excited about, please interrupt and chime in um, and see what's happening. So, total PSA right now. Do not get mad at me if I say Games Fest and meant E3 or said E3 and meant Games Fest. I blame Jeff Keighley for putting them on at the same time. And I probably got it confused at some point. So a game was announced on one of those things this weekend. (laughs) Just putting that out there before everyone's like, that wasn't E3 lace. I'm trying. It's still going to happen. It's still going to happen. (laughs) Jeff, you were part of E3 for 20 years. You knew when it goes on, you could have pushed it a week. That's all I'm going to say. I blame Jeff Keighley. (laughs) But moving on. Okay, so one of my first favorite fun ones, though, was Jeff Goldblum announcing Jurassic World 2, because how can you not enjoy Jeff Goldblum? Who are you if you cannot enjoy him? He did the whole new... So I just love... He could just stand there and talk about anything. I don't care, and I'm just... This is so fascinating. I don't know why. It just puts everything so fascinating. So we got Jurassic World Evolution 2. Did Did either of you ever play the first one that came out with Frontier Dev? No, can't say I did. They were, it was fun. Again, if you like those kind of simulation park building games, this is exactly what it is, but they expand upon it this time where now you have a little bit more of an area that you can build on. You're not locked into just smaller areas like you were in the first one. Um, and you'll also be able to have, obviously, more species. They're throwing in there. So you, more versions of dinosaurs for you to <laughs> collect and put in your parks and raise or I always just open the door and let them on the park guests, whatever. So you'll get some lawsuits. It happens. You know, people get eaten at your park. The family kind of gets mad. Life um, finds so- a way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So let's see. And there's also a chaos theory mode that will allow you to simulate the events in the movies, which was kind of fun. And also a challenge mode for those who want to just, like, see how good you are at building a park and how ridiculous you can get it before it's not safe or as safe or however you want to play but it's just okay. Jeff Goldblum, so that's the only reason why this was mentioned. Insight into my brain. <laughs> Evil Dead, hello! Now, you know I was going to talk about this. I don't know if you know Alex, but I have a very unhealthy obsession with Bruce Campbell. He uh-huh. is my future ex-husband. So, anything he does, I tend to... <laughs> I'm there. I'm right there on it. I like. So, we got another trailer. We know I've been watching this for a while, but this was a little bit longer of a trailer uh, for the Evil Dead, the game. So you get to play four survivors. Kind of reminds me of Dead by Daylight. Yeah. 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 Which is ironic because he's also a character in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Ash is. Ash Williams, we should say. So I should say Ash, I guess, not Bruce. But they kind of blend after 30, 40 years of being the same character. Uh, but you see, you can play as Ash, of course. Or you could play the Kandarian demon, which I thought was interesting. So that's where I was getting the Dead by Daylight vibes, where you're playing, like, mm-hmm. the monster, too. Um, you could possess Deadites as the demon, the environment, the other survivors to swallow their souls. So am I, I know it's we, we were kind of saying a Dead by Daylight vibe, but are there other Deadites coming after you? Because I saw... 
it seemed like there were more than just I feel the, the like main there's killer. gonna be mobs in there too that you would still be fighting yeah because mm. like if you were given the option to possess it so you must have you know NPC mobs that'll be coming after you too and then you could just swoop into the body and take over maybe so I wonder if this is more of a survive the night not really try to escape but just survive oh yeah 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 because yeah. there's a lot more action in this versus something like Dead by Daylight or oh, Friday a lot 13. More, yeah. Like it looks like you're actively wanting to go towards the fighting in this one and not necessarily hiding um, and mm-hmm. surviving. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I probably just want to play Ash the whole time. Maybe Kelly. But I mean, yeah. they had pretty much the whole franchise represented here, you know, because you had like Ash from Evil Dead. Scotty, who's the whole reason why we went to this dang cabin in the first place, y'all. You know, so I guess we have him to thank for even having Evil Dead, you know, wanted to go on a vacation. You got Lord Arthur in there that you could play from Army of Darkness. Kelly and Pablo from Ash vs. Evil Dead. Supposedly more. They're, they're, they're promising more people. Um, so, yeah, and it's supposed to be this year. Did you I'm see excited. Evil Ash? I did. That's where I, I want to be. <laughs> I kind of wanted it to be the one with the two heads, though. The little goody two shoes. Little goody two shoes. But don't play the Kandirian demon, because Bruce said that makes you a dick, and I have to listen to him. That was a treat, having him voice that, that trailer over. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I heard him, I'm like, yes, he's so involved in it. I mean, I know he says he wants to leave that character behind, I guess, but he can't. He, he loves it. We love him. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know if that was what either of you were excited about, but I had to mention it, of course, because I feel like it's my duty. It is. I don't. Somebody's yeah. going to be bad, and I understand it. Uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderland looked kind of interesting. I don't know if we're Borderlands fans here or not, uh, but they got a good voiceover cast for it, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got Ashley um, uh, back, and then we have Andy Samberg, Will Arnett, Wanda Sykes, and of course, Ashley Birch is Tiny Tina. Uh, apparently, it's a standalone experience, so you don't even have to be familiar with the Borderlands lore at all to be able to enjoy this one. And I don't want to just hang it up on the cast, but I do kind of enjoy all those people that they said, so I feel like it would at least be a good time. The Borderlands world is so crazy and over the top already as it is, and... Did they specify what kind of game it's going to be? Is it going to be a lot like Borderlands, or is it going to be its own thing? It's its own thing. So it's supposed to be in the Borderlands universe, but it's like its own game about Tiny Tina. Like, she's she appeared, I think, in Borderlands 2. So she isn't, like, a staple from the very first game. And so this is her own game. Well, I guess I, I meant more like in genre. Because we've had like the the telltale version where story oriented. Oh, like played the same. Like yeah, mechanics wise, it looks like it it plays like that. Like uh, in the trailer, it's hard to tell with these trailers anymore because we only get like cinematic cuts for a lot of things and never actual gameplay. So I'm always hesitant to be convinced 100% of any kind of mechanic in a gameplay until it's like here's the gameplay trailer it's releasing in a week. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I trust you. But the cinematic ones, man. Some are I doing better. They're, they're like putting disclaimers. Some of, them, some of them are doing better. What was the one that finally where, where it just hit the wall? It was like, I think it was last summer, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Was it during Games Fest or a PlayStation Direct or something where... I feel like it was Assassin's Creed. <laughs> oh, it might because they were just like here's gameplay and we're like that's not gameplay that's a trailer that's that's what are you talking about and then that they put an in engine trailer mm-hmm. so then they started trying to make the difference but they had to come out and explain because like most gamers were like what's the difference you're building the game in the engine what do you mean in engine trailer you know so it's like oh we specifically <laughs> built this cinematic experience in the same engine the game's getting built in for you to see and it's like we don't want to see that we want to see how the game's gonna play <laughs> Yeah, game. <laughs> like play. I don't get why you do that at all. Like, just we want to see the game. <laughs> Quit deceiving us. I know that's not gonna work. But I mean, anything out of the like Gearbox showcase that caught y'all's eye or anything? Because I'll just, I'll just keep talking. No. <laughs> Keep it moving. Uh, keep it moving. <laughs> so we had Ubisoft Forward also, which showed off its normal fare. We were kind of talking a little bit about it, uh, a, a hint of it earlier. Of course, we got our Just Dance 2022 announcement, like we do more Rainbow Six Siege as we do, and of course, more Assassin's Creed as we do. But we were mentioning more DLC uh, for Valhalla. So I thought you'd be excited since you're like really enjoying that game, it sounds like, at least so far. Something tells me I'll hit a wall pretty soon where it's just like, Uh-oh. all right. <laughs> you better hurry up then. That's, that's why I'm trying to just power through the story because I've, I, if I'd have just focused on the story mm-hmm. and done the collecting within the world, it probably would have been so much better. I probably would have done a lot of this simultaneously, but I went and said, oopies candy, and just yep. started following the gold trails and not worrying about the story. And now here we are, 73 hours later. You know, that, we'll have more. That, that was my problem with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, you know, because there's just so much you can do. And I got too focused on, you know, all of those icons on the map. And then I was like, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm good now. <laughs> Never yeah. actually finished the game. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed That's playing my- it. It's just, yeah. you know. <laughs> A lot. That's my problem. I feel like the longer the game, like I'm at the age now, the longer it is, the less likely I'm going to probably even start because I know I'm less likely to finish. Yeah. I kind of like my 10, 20 hour experiences now that I know I can get in, get done, love it, move on, or open ended ones where it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's where I gravitate towards. Uh, let's see what else did they announce. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora. Although I believe that was also just a cinematic cut. Um, so I guess, yeah, it looks good from a cinematic standpoint. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I try to not get excited about these things till I see the real deal. I've been burned before. <laughs> I've been burned by you guys before. It but, seemed um, like um, that, that should have been something in VR. I'm glad maybe that it's not, but it seemed like it would have lent itself to VR. Yeah. Just the, 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 the story. Yeah. Avatar itself. The 3D At least landscapes. Have a VR mode. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just explore the world in, in VR. Maybe none of the action, just explore yeah. the planet. That would be cool. Uh, I don't know. I, it said, what, like, maybe 2022 or 2023 for that. So we're talking about it way too early. I have a beef, Alex, with game developers talking about games years out in advance. Yeah. I like it six to eight months. So, <laughs> so which. that window. Yeah, so which do you think we'll see first? This Avatar game or Avatar 2? No! Oh, <laughs> Shady Throne. A... Um, dang, I don't really know. Yeah, that is kind of a hard one to, 
say. Or will we never see either of them? Okay, Maybe well, I would say the game publisher. <laughs> <laughs> the game publishers will double down on the game, so we'll probably see the game first. Oh, that's fair. They'll probably because have them more. How many sequels has James Cameron added at this point? At first, it was only two, and then it became three, and now it's four. Maybe it'll just live on through the games now. Who knows? <laughs> this could be one of the sequels. It could be. I don't know. I mean, I guess I wasn't that extremely excited for it in the first place, but I try to hold, um, reserve all of my excitement until we're, we're closer and I know it's going to be a thing and we're showing it off. But if you were excited for it, hadn't seen the trailer, go check it out. You know, might get you excited for it more. At least you can see, I guess, something's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if nothing else, progress, right? And then hilariously, there one that was leaked ahead of time by Nintendo themselves was the Mario Rabbids Spark of Hope, which I thought was so funny. Mm-hmm. Nintendo jumped the gun a little bit, put it on their storefront before Ubisoft's uh, showcase was. They kind of leaked their own thing. Or were we at all excited? Super, I mean, I never excited. played them, but I still found the situation quite funny. Yeah, I mean, it is hilarious. Like, like by an hour or two, too. Like, they could have just waited a couple hours, and it would have been fine. <laughs> I know with the time difference, you know, I made their calculations a little off. But anyway, it does look fun. And if you liked those games, it does look like a really fun um, iteration into the series, you know. Uh, and... You know, more reasons to grab out your Switch. Sure. It's always good for me, you know. I like to find the games that are only for the Switch to get them, but that I end up not. Mm-hmm. I'm, and then, of course, if you're into it, Far Cry 6. We got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of Far Cry 6. I got one thing to say about that. Mm-hmm. Did, did either of you watch the uh, the cinematic trailer where they showed Gigan Carlo Esposito, kind of his, like his moment to shine? Maybe game. I sat here. I was cleaning my keyboard while I was watching it. He just walks so into a, a. I guess it was kind of the start of the the story. So he's walking onto this boat, mm-hmm. and then he gives this big speech, and then takes some kid into his. I guess who whoever oh, he yeah, was yeah, looking yeah, yeah. for. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, or at least this was my observation. They spent so much time getting his face so accurate that all of the other characters paled in comparison. Like, they just did not have the detail. Yeah. And it's like, he looks amazing, but he stands out amongst them all. Maybe that's meta. Like, he's a live-action character in a CG world just walking around. Not to say that he is, but that's how it looked. It was just weird. They look like they might be kind of fun. I don't know why I've never played one. Maybe because it seemed like it was shooter heavy, and I don't mind shooting mechanics so long as it's not the only mechanic. But didn't like I they... tend to get bored if I'm all I'm doing is shooting, just personally. But I read but some headline where they said that they wanted to try to convince you not to use your gun in this game. Oh. I can't remember what the details were, but that they really wanted you to kind of be passive more than you have in other games something like that is what I yeah i did get the impression that there was like well they always had those fun ways to finish it too anyway right with Mm -hmm. far cry like there was a way to beat the game in five ten minutes if you really wanted to and found that easter egg or played it all the way through so i they do build nice worlds and from what i understand the villains are always a lot of fun Mm -hmm. so probably just time it was probably just time for me when i sat down because i think i have why, I don't know, but I think I have five or four or both. 
could probably have both. I probably do. I used to stream, so I have a lot of games that I don't know where they came from or why I have them or anything like that. But uh, yeah, what do you have? You played any of the Far Cry games? No, no, I've never played any of the Far Cry games. Uh, um, so, no, oh well. We're just not the audience. It happens. So for those of you who are, enjoy. <laughs> I mean, they're fun. I don't actively seek them out, but I have fun when I play them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like it. I could get into watching people play it. I just never did myself. Maybe I will one day. I say that, but it's possible, but probably not. Um, and then I think this was more of the E3 announcement stuff because we were talking about some video game movies. That were coming out, which I found interesting as well. I want to see Werewolves with it. I never played it. I don't have enough friends to play the game. But I like Milena Vaintrub in the things that I've seen her in. She used to uh, she used to do some of those interactive movies, too, that I used to play on Echo. Mm-hmm. She's so funny. <clears throat> I love her. And I think she was at Sprint or AT&T commercials she did, too. I don't remember. I can't anyway. remember. Anyway. She's fine. I, I every I don't actively seek her out, but when she shows up at things that I'm watching, I've always enjoyed her. And it just looks like a good time, a fun whodunit, werewolves kind of movie uh, based on the video game that um, even it admitted nobody really played. Maybe because you were expecting people to have too many friends. I think you have to at least have five. And that's, like five, that's too many. Everyone, and five everyone friends knows. with VR. Everyone knows gamers don't have friends. Well, that many. <laughs> you know, we just sit in our basements and. <laughs> right? Lucky to have two. <laughs> well, and I mean, okay, let's say we have five friends. Do we know five people with VR? The same yeah. VR. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So it made it a little difficult, probably an amazingly fun time. I just, I feel like right now VR was still so niche that it would, it made it a little harder. You should start with like two to three and then maybe like NPCs or something to fill it or have that as, I could be talking out of my ass for all I know. Maybe that is an option. And I just saw five to seven players and I just went, nope, (laughs) not even going to bother. I'm never going to have that many people free at this time, you know? Oh. But Free Guy was brought back up again, which I kind of thought we just forgot about. I <laughs> wasn't it, sure if, like, 2020 it was, killed it or... Yeah, it was one of those pre-COVID movies. supposed to come out and then just yeah kicked down the road a bit. But there you go. I think this one was Game Fast, though. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I already said my PSA at the beginning, right? And then, uh, of course, a little bit more with Borderlands. Randy Pitchford took us behind the scenes a little bit there for that, which we've been getting little leaks from over the course of several months now anyway. Um, so if you're excited for that, progress is being made. And there's your video game movies that I saw at E3. There might have been more. <laughs> but lastly for me, Devolver. Because I always enjoy their showcase, whether they have anything I want to play or not. (laughs) They just always put on a good show. Obviously, they deviated away from their maniacal storyline because they they even admitted in the beginning that they they probably just, you know, hit its course. They don't know where else they can go (laughs) with this universe that they created. But they announced the Devolver Max Pass Plus, which made it extremely confusing the entire time, which was on purpose. I think it's just a satire on monetization as a service, as they say. And it was 100% free unless you bought something. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I thought that was funny. I did go to the Devolver MaxPassPlus.com. I clicked the subscribe button, and all that happened was a pop-up that said that thanked me for re-upping for six months. They didn't ask for an email, a name, a phone number, a nothing. It was just <laughs> thanks. So like the whole website is just satire, and it's hilarious, but a very nice layout of the games that they announced. So if you'd like to go in, of course, and do that, and just be a part of a free service that only costs money if you buy something or premium items. Just lean into it, guys. It's it's Devolver. It's not supposed to be taken seriously. But uh, the only one that really kind of looked interesting to me that I might play is that Trek to Yomi, which was the first one that they showed off, which I thought was a uh, – it looked like fun. I, again, when everything's announced this early, I kind of take it all with a grain of salt because um, things can change by the time it um, actually gets released. Oh, Oh, it went down. I left the page up thinking I'd be all smart and just read that thing there. And then it says error. Well, go look at it. Okay. (laughs) Go look at it. We can't do everything. (laughs) I fail. I know. I don't know why I'm given this responsibility. There it goes. (laughs) Oh, dear. It's really just like the style of the game um, that I feel like that they kind of hone in on quite a bit. Again, I think I've referenced like my friend Pedro and, and how that it feels 3d, but on this 2d plane that you're kind of moving through. And this one kind of made you more, I don't know how to explain how they, they make it pop mm-hmm. where it's like, looks like everything's kind of leaping off of there. And uh, anyway, I would go watch the trailer. I thought it looked gorgeous. It was kind of the only one out of the showcase that caught my eye specifically that I thought I might play. Um, because you know, <clears throat> just loot runner gunners things like that they stress me out too much and I just I can't, <laughs> I can't do them for very long um and uh Phantom Abyss actually looked like kind of fun too and you can actually play that on early access on June 22nd it kind of reminded me of that Nickelodeon show uh, I think it was on Nickelodeon uh what was it with the treasure hunters where you actually had to go through the um, obstacle course and oh, get the key at Legends the top? of the Hidden Temple? or Yes. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of a, a video game version of that. And apparently they're reviving that show, too. Yeah, Just they are. Aside. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See what happens. <laughs> so I saw one that caught my eye initially through its icon. I think it was called Wizard with a Gun. Mm-hmm. And I watched. I watched. And it looked amazing. And then I saw gameplay, and then I checked out. Because that was just not the game I was Aww. expecting. <laughs> it, it, I think that was the one that it kind of looked like Don't Starve. Yeah. Like the, okay, yeah, kind of, or at least that art style, Don't Starve Together, or Don't Starve. Um, it just, up to that point, I was invested. I was like, ooh, this could be interesting. What is this about? Maybe what give is going it a shot. On? Have you ever tried a game like that? Yes, and I didn't care for it. Oh. I always tell that to the Hods, too, and he's like, that doesn't look interesting. I'm like, just try. Have you ever tried that genre? And now he's playing Crypt of the Necrodancer, and I can't pull it away from him. That's true. Just trust me (laughs) once in a while (laughs) on those off-the-wall games. Uh, So that was all the big stuff, unless I missed any games that was announced that y'all wanted to talk about a little bit, Uh, because it's still ongoing, of course. I mean, Devolver did not announce a Hotline Mammy 3 like was rumored that we all thought was going to happen. I still think they were trying. So I'm just disappointed in that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, So I have a few quickets then, and then we'll move on to, of course, deep diving into the life of Alex Smith here. Get down dirty and personal here. Oh, my. Uh, But this I thought was funny. (laughs) 
he's usually gentle. Don't worry. I'm usually the one that has like a dumb question that comes to my mind. And then I ask it for whatever reason. Um, but this I thought was interesting. So uh, apparently with E3, as always, a lot of creators usually apply for the privilege to be able to go ahead and uh, do live reaction streams and having, you know, E3 shown on your own stream wherever you do that. Um, so I guess Jeff Keeley got an email, <laughs> which I thought was funny, um, letting him know gently like, oh, it was limited and, you know, the spaces were quickly filled. So, but please feel free to apply next year. <laughs> <laughs> he was denied permission to stream E3. I guess he's, he mentioned he already had deals with the publishers already, but I just found that like such a snub. Even if it was on accident, <laughs> to Jeff, like, you're not allowed now. Sorry. We don't know if you'll get DMCA. It's on you if you want to do it out, you know. <laughs> he big fat sat there and did it anyway. But I'm just saying, <laughs> it was funny he even got the email. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, you did it for over 20 years, and you left us. And now you're competing directly against us. So, no, you cannot stream us. I mean, I kind of might be pity like that, too. Um, so I found this interesting too. If you are a Facebook content creator, they decided to double down on their creators. And if you are a partner, you will get 100% of your subscription revenue until 2023. Facebook is waiving their portion of it, which sounds awesome. But I admit again, it's coming from them, so I feel something nefarious is happening. <laughs> Maybe they need more of y'all to come over. Some people are ditching their Facebook accounts. Like, these are the things that go on in my head. Like, we need more people to sign up. But I bet if you're a Facebook creator and you love it over there and you're thriving over there, that's got to be fantastic news that for the next year and a half, it's all you. You get your money. We're not splitting it. I think they were a less rev split anyway. Mm-hmm. So I want to say they mentioned after that it would only be 30% even after that. And Twitch takes 50. I don't know about YouTube for what theirs does. Um, probably 50%, whatever that is. Um, and then the last one, Elden Ring fans rejoiced. They got a little <laughs> bit more of the game. They got to see it or any of it, I guess, at this point, really, because we'd only had what, like, the little cinematic that would say Elden Ring. <laughs> Um, so it's a from software game for sure. When you're when you're looking at it, it looks brutal. It looks probably everything you want out of a from software game if you are a fan. Um, currently looking at January twenty second, twenty twenty two as a release date. Projected. I always take release dates with a grain of salt anymore. They they love to pretend they're going to have it out at a time and then not. But I, again, I'm in the camp of make it good before you push it out anyway. I'm not going to send you a death threat. I just want you to make it and have it done. So, um, yeah, we could go on and on. But I think that's probably a decent recap of the of the news this week. A little bit of quick hits. And we still have more for next week. We do. Because it's ongoing. They do this crap on the weekend. What are <laughs> yeah. we supposed to do about it? We can't time travel. I know. Yet. I know. Well, if something big happens, maybe we'll just have like a little addendum. <clears throat> public service announcement. <laughs> Came out right off the here. press. Uh, Microsoft and Bethesda have split up. I don't know. I'm just saying that. I don't know. I doubt that would happen. They're they're they love each other now, <laughs> as they that should. Be the thing? <laughs> but all right.
right. So unless there, because I know sometimes Stephen makes a note of a couple of things in case I don't, it doesn't catch my eye from the week. Was there anything? No. Maybe maybe no. I got it all this time, huh? Ooh, ooh. I'll just throw oh. I'll just throw this out there real quick. Loki. Did anybody watch Loki? I did. Yes. Yes. How about it? Love it. Loved it. I think they're setting up a fun story here. I think they're setting up a fun story. Big. And, and yeah, and I really and you know, there's they're finally they've been teasing us with the multiverse for so long. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, Doctor Strange too is is gonna be right. all about it and, and probably the new Spider Man as well. And I it looks I think I think something very bad is gonna happen to the timeline mm-hmm. in this Loki show to to kind of set all of that up. So I think that's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh yeah. I even think that them I could be wrong. I'm not I don't wanna speculate, so everyone take this with a grain of salt, anyone listening. I have no inside knowledge. But the fact that they went ahead and said it was Loki causing problems within the timeline, I just, I have this, I don't know, that's a pretty big thing to just go ahead and say, oh, it's it's you. I feel like there's more to it than that. There has to be Pardon more me? to it than I, that. I agree. Right, I beg your pardon? <laughs> after, after all then, and you know, spoilers, then they, you know, they, they showed the person disrupting the timeline, but they didn't show them. I mean, they were all right. in, in shadows and everything. So there's got to be... More to that story. I agree. I, I, I like how they've set it up, at least. I am interested now. I am intrigued, and I, I want to see where you're going with this, man. I like the setup. Plus, and I kind of like the weekly drop. Yeah, it, it does. It's frustrating and enjoyable at the same time because you want more, but then mm. you're like, okay, I can wait. But see, now we can have a conversation knowing that you couldn't have gotten ahead of me. That's true. It's very true. I do miss that. I mean, well, you know, back when we used to, like, interface with humans and talk about things you did, you know, those mm-hmm. were good days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where you had to chat in person, you know, and everyone was watching TV live. So, yeah. anywho. Anywho. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up real quick because I'm sure we'll no, be talking that, about yeah, it for the next I'm, couple of weeks. Definitely want to keep my eye on that. I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. Alex. We're gonna ask you some questions. We got some. We want to do some deep dives on you, and, and try to get. We, we. I mean, I feel like I kind of know you because I, you know, been digging around a little bit. But uh, I want some some deeper answers to everything that I've I've looked up, and you know, our audience. I want them to get engaged with you and start looking up your stuff. First of all, I gotta know, and I'm pretty sure this is a very very basic question, but I would assume you're a lifelong gamer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, and. <laughs> What what would you say if you could narrow one down? For me, this is always a hard question, despite what it may be. But what would you say is your all time favorite game? Oh Lord, yeah, no that that is a tough one. All time favorite. Um, I mean, I would I would probably rather than try to narrow down one, just just throw out a couple, cheat a little yeah. on you there. Um, loved uh, loved Tie Fighter. Mm. Uh, those space sim kind of games really like i i really love uh the uh the dragon quest series oh yes of rpgs those are fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big fan of those um trying to think you know yeah you, you, you kind of <laughs> narrow it down to one and then it's like but you know 
my children. I cannot choose. Yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> I've that... never been able to. Like, sometimes I can hone in maybe a favorite in a genre. Yeah. And then when I'm like, overall, I'm like, ah, oh, that is a hard one. Plains... Especially when you've gamed yeah. forever. Planescape Torment, that is definitely my jam. Uh, you know, I like a lot of RPGs, a lot of story-driven RPGs. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe genre should have been a better question. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like that's easier sort of to answer. Well, it's it's like asking someone what your favorite movie is. I don't know. I mean, I love yeah. a lot. Exactly. Right. So, okay, so we'll say RPGs, and that that kind of makes sense from what I found. Um, what well, I, I guess the big question I really have that that'll kind of kick this off because over the past. Was it been months here lately, Lace, where I've been getting these deep dives on on video game history and your name came up several times and then there would be other names that kind of pop up. So I guess I want to know, where does this desire to be a game historian come from? Like, at what point did you kind of decide this is what I want to do? Sure, absolutely. So uh, history is my passion. History is really my first love. Uh, I do have a degree in it. The bachelor's degree but you know that's never been my okay. profession profession uh my my father is a, a historian actually he has his phd so that's that's kind of always been part of my life so whenever i become interested in anything whatever that is i naturally also then become interested in the history of it because that's just that's that's the great thing about history that's yeah. the great thing about history mm-hmm. it ties into literally everything everything has a mm-hmm. history and uh so I started kind of uh, in my college years, I guess, uh, in the early 2000s, to date myself, uh, getting uh, really, uh, really interested in video game history, uh, trying to learn more about that. And, you know, at that time, uh, there were a couple of books out. Uh, They were fairly, I mean, surface level probably is too cruel. There was some good information in them, but they, they didn't go as deep as, as I wanted to get. They didn't have sure. as much information as I wanted to know. And so I just kind of started poking around a little more. And and then I was like, well, if, you know, if the stuff that I'm interested in isn't out there yet, why don't I, uh, why don't I try to, <laughs> to do something? Why not? Uh, and, you know, that was around 2006, 2007. So even though the, you know, the first book just came out in 2019, I've been researching this stuff for, uh, for a pretty long time. And yeah, that's, that's how it started and still, still going strong. Haven't gotten sick of it yet. So that's amazing. I mean, I can I can definitely relate to that. The obsession part, like you obsess over something to the point that you want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. That's how I am with with behind the scenes documentaries of a movie. Like if I really love a movie, I want to know everything about it. So I'll start doing those deep dives. And anytime they've got a documentary about it, the what was it? The uh, <laughs> there's an eight hour documentary on the Friday the Thirteenth series. I'll sit through it mm-hmm. every stinking hour of it i love it in so one much. sitting yes i have impressive. <laughs> wow i have <laughs> because i love Maybe it so that. much i just yeah. i can't help it it's, it's just amazing um so all of this kind of comes back to they create worlds and maybe mm-hmm. this may seem it might be so much simpler than i'm, I'm probably going to make it out to be but uh where, where did the name come from well, uh, it primarily came from, so, uh, you know, I mentioned TIE Fighter. I, I also liked all of those uh, 1990s uh, Space Sims, uh, also the Wing Commander series. So I was a big mm-hmm. fan of the company Origin. Uh, and Origin's 
kind of motto slogan or whatever was we create worlds. So that's that's sitting in the back of my head. Uh, and then just the idea that so I, I first used the They Create Worlds name when I started the blog, which is, is very sporadic. I mean, I don't unlike the podcast, which has been like clockwork two times a month, every month since 2015. The blogging I kind of do when when something catches my eye and I'm not feeling lazy. Uh, but the blog came first. And so when I was trying to come up with a name for that, I was thinking, well, when I first started the blog, it was kind of about here's what the sources out there have said here's what really happened because a lot of the early sources uh they're they're well-intentioned and a lot of them have good information but they were written by uh largely by journalists uh you know they're they're coming in quick to to do their book and then they're getting out and i mean mm -hmm. they're they're taking more time on it than if they were just writing an, an article in a daily paper but they only have so much time energy and focus that they can do the research and mm. so at, at some point, they're going to take the word of the people they talk to or take the word of the two articles they were able to read and, and not do that deeper dive. And it was that dissatisfaction that was part of me uh, wanting to do this myself because I, I felt it needed deeper research. Uh, and, and no one was really doing it. And so when I started the blog, part of it was like, well, I'm going to kind of take a look at here's what what the sources have said here's where the sources contradict each other. Here's some other stuff I found and trying to make sense of, of what actually happened. So they create worlds. It was kind of the, the worlds that I was thinking of at that time were the, the things that actually happened, the, the creation that actually happened. And then the stories that built up around it that weren't always true. Uh, and so that's kind of where that started. But then, I mean, that, that, branding applies very well very broadly just the idea of you know video games are anymore these big virtual worlds mm -hmm. and so talking about uh creation of worlds just seems to make sense and then it, it tied into my my origin fascination so nice mm -hmm. For, i mean while you're talking about it the the finding stories finding the contradictions and trying to sort it all out if uh listeners remember a few weeks back we were talking about periscope mm -hmm. and i cited you in that because I liked your theory on where that came from because there didn't really seem to be a definitive answer Yeah, who created it, but your hypothesis on it made sense that mm -hmm. it was probably made for that, that rooftop arcade. Right. Someone took the idea. So technically it could have been here and that's where it started. And then it just filtered through with, you know, people, Stealing ideas, <laughs> as was seemed to be the case back then. Everybody was oh, ripping yeah. everybody else off. Yeah, absolutely. So I really found that to be fascinating because that's that's looking at it through a different lens. You're not just taking it at face value. You're questioning it because something doesn't add up, and there has to be a reason. And I think I honestly feel like your your take on it is probably accurate. Uh, I would take it almost as fact. Given yeah, all the, what we have. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things you'll never know for sure, but it it mm. it it does make sense since since Namco Nakamura Manufacturing, as it was back then, was so very yeah. involved in those spaces and definitely did custom installations. It it would kind of make sense that it started as maybe a one off, and and then once he got a factory going, it's like, well, now we can mass produce this, yay! And then Sega comes along, and it's like, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> As they tended to do. Right. <laughs> right. right. 
So you started this as a blog, and mm-hmm. I would assume that when you when you started it there, it was just to kind of keep your thoughts in order. I yeah. Guess anything that you were finding. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, the books were always the end game, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. And I had been working on on the books for a while at that point, just you know, gathering string. I hadn't really written much yet, and and it felt like I needed to do something that would force me to start kind of honing in and and actually doing this this book project and so the the blog kind of started as a way to kind of organize for myself as much as anything some of the research and start delving into those contradictions and starting to figure out what my narrative was going to be and uh, you know I kept that going for a bit uh, and then it it really became just too much to to try to do that and once I started seriously writing the book you know also write the book at the same time because i do have a day job on top of all of this i yeah. you know i'm no i i i don't this is this totally pays for everything right? <laughs> yeah I, I don't get that Our passion right I, I don't get that six-figure advance and mm-hmm. uh you know get to go off for two years and and do nothing but research and write uh and but then during this process uh my my best friend known him since the third grade uh jeffrey dom obviously since this stuff was always on my mind whenever we would like go out to dinner or just be hanging out you know i'd inevitably uh because if you haven't noticed yet once i get started talking i don't stop uh you know i would inevitably start uh telling stories uh you know some of the stuff i found in the video game industry and uh jeffrey he was like you know i enjoy listening to you talk about this stuff maybe other people would enjoy listening to you talk about this stuff and he had been looking for something to do with audio, just because he was interested in learning about it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he, he has a background in IT network administration. He's tech savvy, but I mean, he'd never done anything with like recording or with audio before. He was like, I've been looking for something to do with this just because it looks interesting. You've got content. Why don't we put a podcast together and, and see where this goes? And, and so that's what we did. And, you know, all, all credit, uh, to Jeffrey because uh, I, I said it's it's been coming out uh, twice a month like clockwork since we started and uh, if it were just me doing it that that would not happen the amount of time he he takes to 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 do this thing and get it working behind the scenes is is just unbelievable and he's he's very dedicated to that and that's great yeah and so so yeah. we've got that going as mm. as well uh, so yeah the the blog kind of came the, the research came first then the blog then the podcast, and then finally I got the first book out, and now I'm working on the second. Nice. Yeah, based on what I saw with your podcast, what I've listened to, I do like your approach because you're ta- you're you're still talking about the history. You're you're kind of doing these deep dives into things like that. Anytime we even talk about it here, I'm trying to condense everything I can just in the smallest thing possible. So that's why I'm always encouraging people: if you like what you hear here i've given you a cliff's notes version go out and really do the research because there's so much more and i try to keep the most important bits in but i'm not going to get everything i can't Mm -hmm. get everything so i really hope that that more people will kind of if they have that interest in history gaming history i think the more and more i've gotten into it the more and more fascinated with it i've become and i'm always looking for something new to find you know even if it's just like a bread you know breadcrumb trail somewhere 
the like the periscope story i think yeah. that spawned from what was i doing research on uh light guns or right. something like that mm-hmm. yeah so it was like i was going down that rabbit hole i saw the periscope bit and i said i'm going to come back to that <laughs> and then i just i'll circle back around and it's it's fascinating just where it leads sometimes so um you you mentioned the book Mm-hmm. The book series, and this is going to be the uh, the one that's out now. This is first of three. That's is correct. That correct. That's correct. And you, the the first book is six hundred pages. Did I read that correctly? Uh, yeah, I think five hundred eighty six. If you're keeping score at home, but okay, we, we can call that six hundred. <laughs> give or take. <laughs> give give or take. You know what's <laughs> what's a hundred pages between friends? Right. So, do you have a breakdown of what each volume is meant to? I guess. I don't want to say condensed down, but what its main focus is. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, the, the main focus of them is that there is no focus, which is kind of the point. I mean, that's that's obviously not totally true, but uh, part of the reason why it's so big and why there's going to be three books that are that big is that I did want to create something that could be foundational, that that kind of does a good job of covering all of the areas equally because uh past history books even the good ones uh you know they'll they'll focus on just what's going on in consoles or they'll focus on uh the arcade maybe in the beginning when space invaders and pac-man are big and then you know you never hear about the arcade again except oh yeah street fighter happened but other than that you never hear about it again uh most of them don't cover what's going on in uh, computer gaming at all uh, that just kind of gets uh, cast aside. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right? And so I, I wanted to be able to do something that covered all of those areas and also was a little more geographically diverse. Now, uh, I'm American, I speak English, and I don't speak uh, you know Japanese or any other languages, which makes uh, accessing some of those sources hard, though uh, it's amazing how far machine translation is come quite frankly yeah. uh, you can you can actually get a lot out of uh sources uh in in japanese now uh which you couldn't even five years ago because it uh those services just didn't do pictographic languages well if there's not an alphabet mm-hmm. it didn't know what it was doing right um and so i wanted something that was broad in scope both in terms of the platforms and in, in terms of geography and kind of tied things together a little bit more could serve as a starting point for other people to do uh, research and whatnot. So um, the, they're split kind of into chronological chunks. Uh, the, the first volume, uh, you know, the, the subtitle says 1971 to 1982. Uh, I chose 1971 for the subtitle because that's when Computer Space, the first commercial video game, uh, was released. Uh, there are several chapters that also cover kind of the proto- uh, video and computer game stuff from from the 50s and 60s. It doesn't actually just start at 71. Uh, and it actually barely reaches 1982. Uh, it, it mostly stops at 81. But the first book is kind of about the, the beginnings of the industry, uh, the first coin-op games, the first coin-op boom with Pong, moving on through the ups and downs there, and then Space Invaders and, and how it really starts to take off. Uh, in the in the console space, it's it's about getting Atari established and, and Atari very successful. Sure. And uh, computer games, it's it doesn't get much into the industry because if I, I kind of stopped computer games a little earlier than the others at, at 1979 because if if I had tried to introduce 
all the big stuff that happened kind of in from 80 to 82 when that industry really started getting going it would have been another 150 pages and we were wow. we were all ready <laughs> maybe that could be a standalone <laughs> oh it, it'll it'll get into the next one it's just i you know i i i had to cut it off a little earlier to keep the book from you know getting too big too late but uh <laughs> um so it it kind of covers that area uh the second volume is going to then be roughly 82 to 94 so it's going to be all about uh the the crash in north america when everything fell apart uh it's going to be about uh the growth of uh, the computer game industry uh in the united states and in europe where the whole bedroom coder movement particularly in great britain gets going uh it's going to talk about you know nintendo coming in with the nes it's going to do the the console war with uh, nintendo and sega uh I hope I can get all of that in one volume. It's going to be a, it's going to be a <laughs> packed volume. Uh and then it's but it's going to break off right before uh you know Sony comes in and uh with the PlayStation which is really when you see a real video game industry starting to coalesce and you and you yeah. see it kind of entering more of the mainstream and and being not just a children's toy or not just something that you know nerds are doing in their you know so right. stereotypical basement uh but is something that becomes really mass market and then the, the third volume will be roughly 94 to 2005 uh cutting off there right before the wii and and online gaming and social gaming casual gaming and all of that because uh, that's a good break point and and stopping there because you do need a little bit of perspective now you know real historians at academic institutions they don't want to touch anything until it's a hundred years gone i'm mm -hmm. i'm doing this much too early for for them but uh but you know trying to go further forward than 2005 there isn't enough perspective yet uh to That's really fair. be able to do that so you know hopefully 20 years from now or something like that i i may do a, another volume that goes up to yeah. like that goes up to like 2020 or something but uh but that's that's kind of what we're looking at um they're they are they're published they're not self-published i i did go through a publisher um mostly because uh i wanted to be taken seriously by somebody i mean you know since 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 this isn't my day job i since i'm not someone that engages with this professionally uh you know anyone can self-publish uh getting someone to say, okay, maybe you know what you're talking about and, and being published was, was important to me. So uh, I did I did go with uh, CRC Press, which is kind of a quasi-academic publisher. Uh, I say it like that because they, they don't do the full rigmarole that a, that a university press does where they do like double-blind peer reviews and, you know, want you to have a super, you know, developed and important thesis that scholars in your field are going to be interested to read. And, uh, you know, so they, they kind of take cater to the academic community, but they're not like strictly rigorous like that. Um, I had to go with something like that as opposed to say a more, uh, you know, popular, uh, publisher just because they're, they're big 600 page books on video game history. Uh, it's it's a shame we're not there yet that a mainstream publisher would want to do something like that but uh, no mainstream publisher is yet going to want to do something like that. Maybe you just need to make that. the audio on tape for them. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, you know, I mean it's a huge industry, right? I mean, it's just as mm -hmm. big or bigger than movies or music. But I mean, a, a mainstream publisher would would publish a 600-page encyclopedia of of film or something like that, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But for some reason video games just still don't have that level of cultural acceptance in in that area i mean that'll that'll change um sure. you know but it, it's just not there yet so 
Uh, so I went with them because they would allow me to do these massive books. Uh, it does mean that they are expensive. And I, whenever I'm on something like this, I like to, to, to mea culpa that because I, I, know, I know it's expensive. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not some out of touch, you know, uh, you know, lighting my cigars with $100 bills while I... <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for the love, not the money. I don't see very much of that money at all. Uh, it was kind of the cost of doing business with a legitimate publisher. Uh, so I, I know it's a lot of money. I will say that if you are into this stuff, uh, I really think it provides something that that no other uh, book written on this has yet in in terms of the depth of the dive and and mining new sources and and giving a a better sense of of what happened with everything. Uh, I, I would like to, after I'm done with these, maybe try to do something more condensed than this, maybe something that a, a mainstream publisher would be interested in and, and could be, you know, cheaper and more accessible. But mm-hmm. first I'm doing this big, you know, vanity project, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched the uh, the video game documentaries uh, like High Score, uh, Console Wars? What's another one? Playing with Power. Playing with yeah. Power. Like we've had a few. Yeah, we've year, we've had actually. A, yeah, we really have. Uh, I have. Um, I think they're a fairly mixed bag overall. Uh, of, of those three, console wars was probably the the best one. Um, though though, uh, high score it it had a really strange kind of divided focus to it, and and they had to get it's e really and they had to get esports into every single episode, which. I mean, it's it's fine to talk about esports. I mean, esports are huge, but some of those esports segments seemed very tacked on to the episode that they were in. Seemed mm-hmm. less relevant. Uh, I thought that one was a bit scattershot and hit and miss. Uh, playing with power, I, I hate to say it was kind of a disaster. <laughs> I, I I usually try not to to be critical. I I, I know it's it's hard, but uh, you know, even putting something like this together. But playing with power. It, I mean, they didn't even mention Satoru Iwata. It's a documentary about wow. Nintendo. I was just going to ask, like, what is the, when, when you're watching those, then, like, what was the biggest, like, oh, no, that is wrong that you saw pushed out on one of these things that you know for a fact, like, eh, eh, that's not Oh, gosh. I, I'm not sure I can bring a specific example to mind in, in the moment, but there are often things that are, are inaccurate in these because they're repeating a lot of the same stories that, mm. that have been told for so many years, and, uh, you know, certainly... Well, so so I, I recently here's here's a good one. I recently did a blog post uh, on uh, Nolan Bushnell and uh, Space War because mm-hmm. uh, the the story is and the story goes that the reason that Nolan Bushnell was inspired to get into video games is is that he saw Space War and he's like, this is cool. I'm going to try to you know make this into an arcade game. And then he made Computer Space with Ted Dabney. And uh, you know, I mean that that's true as far as it goes. But he has always said that he saw the game at at the University of Utah where he went to college. And it's almost certainly true that he did not see it there, that it was not there at the time he was there, that it would have been impossible for him to see it there, and that he actually saw it a few years later uh, after he graduated at Stanford where they had it at their uh, artificial intelligence laboratory. And and you might say, okay, so fine. So he he misremembered. I mean, it's, it's just a couple of years apart, and, you know, who cares? Well... The reason that 
he started saying that he saw it at University of Utah is because of patent litigation. Uh, and, you know, the first home console, the, the Magnavox Odyssey, was created by a, a team led by Ralph Baer, and Ralph Baer had patented all of the uh, technology he was using in that system. And then uh, Magnavox, which was the licensee of those patents, started suing everyone that had made uh, Pong clones. Uh, I mean, Atari for making Pong, and then a bunch of the other companies mm -hmm. that made Pong clones. And so suddenly, Nolan Bushnell had an interest in claiming he had the idea and started working on the idea earlier than he actually did because if he could prove his work was prior art to Ralph Baer's work, then they'd be off the hook legally for, for patent infringement. So, mm. so it actually does make a difference. And so he started, and I'm pretty Dirty. sure, you know, he started telling the story that he saw it in college because even though that was only like three or four years earlier, that was early enough. And, uh, I mean, I think he probably believes that he saw it at, at Utah at this point, like really believes it. Because when you tell it enough times, yeah, when yeah. you tell a story enough of the way memory works, he probably does remember that now. But it, it gets more and more elaborate over time. And High Score had this whole sequence where he was uh, where that they animated where, you know, he was talking about how, like, yeah, my friend said there's this cool thing in the computer lab and you have to see yeah. it and so you know at midnight we like snuck around and we snuck into the computer lab and and there it was space war and it's like and the other had this whole animation of them you know like sneaking around like in a stealth game and it's like uh -huh. okay but no <laughs> just just no and and you know those those are the kind of things that that i hope that my work can can help set straight uh put in perspective <laughs> right yeah. yeah and 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 get some of those those facts right uh and you know that one may seem a little minor but it actually it it, it does play a big role in in the history because of all of that that patent litigation sure mm -hmm. no i'm i'm very critical about how i say anything that i've i've looked up as far as the history goes i usually double and triple check different sources just to ensure that I've got my facts straight because I've come across some that just something about it doesn't add up and I'll start digging around and then I'll find something to contradict it. So if I can never get a straight answer, I usually try to say, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I don't know for this the is theories the, are. Yeah, yeah. These are the facts as they were presented to me. Right. <laughs> Have you ever deep dived into something and just, you were convinced it was a thing and then legitimately surprised yourself when you started maybe talking to the individuals involved that all of us were kind of thinking the wrong outcome and you found the facts that surprised you as well, you know? Yeah, no, that, that kind of thing uh, definitely happens. A great example of that is actually one where I thought there was a myth and I thought we had debunked the myth. And then when I looked a little further, it turned out, the myth was true, just not quite in the way it had been reported. Uh, so uh, what I'm talking about here is the uh, 100 yen coin shortage myth with space invaders. Mm -hmm. So th the way the story has always gone is that space invaders was so incredibly popular and people were putting so many 100 yen coins into that machine in Japan uh, that there was a nationwide shortage of 100 yen coins mm -hmm. uh, that forced the mint to like triple production or something like that uh, in order to compensate. And 
this this myth actually goes back to the time. I mean, a lot of these myths get started like after the fact, and then you mm-hmm. go back to the contemporary sources or the contemporaneous sources, and it's like, no, that's not there at all. Uh, this one was actually in the contemporaneous sources. It started being reported in American sources in, uh, I think, about 1980. Uh, because they're they're reporting on the popularity of of space invaders in the U.S. at this point, and they're saying, you know, yeah, it's popular here and in Japan. It caused this coin so- shortage. It was so popular, so it goes back. But then you start thinking, okay, did that really happen? I mean, could a game, even one like that, so popular? I mean, there were hu- literally hundreds of thousands of space invaders cabinets. And mm-hmm. pirates, clones, license variants, etc., um, in the country. And so, but could it really cause a shortage? And so, um, somebody uh, who's at focus is actually on on currency and whatnot. Actually, went in and, and did some research and contacted uh, the Japanese Mint actually to to look at those records and. He said that uh, what they brought back is, you know, no, that that was not an unusual year for coin production. Uh, So and even if the numbers were a little higher, um, they were in the process of uh, changing over the the metals they were using in their coins. And so uh, some of that could have been because of that, because people were hoarding the old coins, which had more valuable metals in them. And so they were switching over and that could account for the production. Sure. So you're already starting to poke holes in it. No, there was definitely no tripled production that year. And oh, by the way, here's this other reason why the coinage was a little weird in Japan at that time. Well, if it was on the American side, I would just totally believe it was a hype marketing tactic to make you want to run out and buy it. It's so popular. Right. We're running out of money to play. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's that, too. I mean, you have to wonder about that. And uh, and then I had the opportunity to interview uh, a couple of uh, American Taito employees uh, at the time, uh, the, the president and general manager of their uh, North American subsidiary. Uh, so even though they're running America, they're obviously dialed into some of what's going on in Japan as well. Mm-hmm. And and both of them independently without me, you know, saying so, you know, Ed Miller said uh, he's one of the guys. So Ed Miller said that this happened. Is that true? Uh, you know, I didn't you try not to ask that way, because as mm-hmm. soon as you tell someone something happened a certain way, even if they know it didn't happen that way, they start to doubt themselves i mean you can actually implant false memories in this way sure because they'll be like because you know it's 40 years ago it's not like it happened yesterday i mean if i try to convince someone they had something else for breakfast yesterday maybe they won't be susceptible but if you bring up something 40 years ago then they'll start to doubt well maybe it was that way well if this especially if you're very confident when you bring it up (laughs) yeah exactly it's like Oh wow, he seemed to really know that. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah. yeah, so you know, they both independently of each other without contaminating each other's memories said that they they did remember a coin situation, but the situation they remembered was that there were complaints that the coins were not turning around fast enough. That the Japanese Diet, uh, their their parliament, actually got involved in negotiating with Taito to make sure the coins were getting turned around faster. Uh, so, so they just weren't going to the bank often enough yeah, to keep them moving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that's so uh, we, you know, me and other people came to the conclusion that 
okay, that's that's probably what it was. It's not that there was really a coin shortage, but there was a little bit of a circulation problem, and the government did get involved in trying to solve the, the uh, circulation problem. And, and, you know, maybe, like, in an area where the game was particularly popular, maybe in, like, that one little district or little town or whatever, sure. maybe they had some coin problems, but that it was probably not a national thing. So that's that's where we got to, myth debunked. Uh, debunked. And, Sorry, high score. And, <laughs> Got it wrong. But then you keep digging. Uh, you know, then you keep digging as uh, as as these things do. And then, you know, I was starting to get more into some Japanese sources, like I said, using machine mm-hmm. translation, which uh, is not perfect, but is much better than it used to be, as I said. And uh, I got into kind of the big coin-op history book in Japanese in Japan, uh, written by the the editor of of their big uh, trade publication for the coin op industry, Game Machine, uh, and he wrote a kind of comprehensive history of the coin op uh, industry in Japan, or the coin op video game industry specifically. He wasn't mm-hmm. going into pachinko and all of that, and uh, he talked about it a little bit in his book, and he had some figures, and. He was going, rather than going, you know, like over the course of the year, he had some month-by-month figures. And when you looked at uh, kind of March-April of 70, I think we're talking 79 here. Yeah, 79, when when this uh, craze was really peaking in Japan, the monthly numbers of production of coins suddenly went way up for just those couple of months relative to what they were in the surrounding years. Uh, they were having to put more coins into circulation. And so what it looks like happened is that there was a shortage. And he was talking about banks were starting to refuse to accept all the coins like so many coins were going into machines and you know i mean coins are heavy i mean oh, yeah, ca- cash is heavy <laughs> i mean i don't even think you can really do it now even yeah you go to the bank and be like give me my cash for this they're like no you have to roll it and <laughs> i mean you know title employees have talked about i mean i can't remember if it was ed miller or paul moriarty one of the two i interviewed talked about how you know they would sometimes have problems with with the trucks and you know like I, I told the story once about how one of the, the trucks, just the tires gave out and, you know, flattened because, you know, you're loading so many coins onto right. these things. I mean, you know, we, we carry around money so rarely anymore. We forget coins are heavy. Yeah, they are. And it appears that a lot of what, hap- what happened is, according to Akagi, the author, is that the banks were starting to get sick of taking all of these coins uh, in mass like this, and so we're starting to refuse deposit of the coins, which meant that as more and more coins were going into machines and then not going back to the banks, oh. that they were starting to run out of coins. And so, of course, they still didn't want to accept those huge deposits from the company, so instead they turned to the central bank and are like, we're running out of coins, we need more coins. So make more instead? <laughs> we don't want coins, but can you make more coins? Right, and so they, so they, <laughs> there was a temporary, probably no more than about two months or so, increase in the production of 100 yen coins. Uh, as a result of this. 
And, but then over the course of the year, because then suddenly in the middle of the year, the the entire Space Invader fad uh, collapses in Japan. Uh, and it's because uh, the government starts regulating. Well, the government threatened, I should say, to start regulating game centers more because of all of this. And so the industry self-regulated <laughs> and they started restricting the hours that uh, miners could be in arcades, uh, in game centers and, and stuff like that, which caused the demand to, to suddenly collapse because fewer players playing it all the time means less money going in, means you right. need to buy less cabinets, replace fewer cabinets. Uh, and so the the fad suddenly collapsed like a couple of months after this happened. And I think then once uh, once that fad collapsed, it, it evened itself out on its own because then those coins did st start to slowly get back into circulation. Mm -hmm. And so we went from, you know, there was a nationwide shortage of tripled production of coins to that is a total myth and here's why to, well, actually, it looks like <laughs> there was very briefly a shortage and there was an unusual amount of production for like two months. So, Interesting. so yeah, that that sounds like the bank's fault. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit, uh, and so that that can be kind of the roller coaster where you think you have a handle on something and and then and then you yeah, turns out you, you see didn't. How it can keep spinning out of control. Sure. <laughs> a year oh, a year from now, I might have a different answer for you on what happened with Space Invaders. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for for something that's already happened, history sure does change a lot over time. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Look at that, siblings. You got a you got a whole new history story. Oh, I know. Not even for me. <laughs> That's amazing. From the source we usually get it from. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, no, that's interesting. I didn't have any more questions. I think organically we kind of went into the conversation about the stuff I was curious about. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so yeah. If anybody's got anything they want to check out of his stuff, there will be links down below to They Create Worlds, uh, the blog, the podcast, the whole shebang. They Create the Worlds, the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, you've got plenty of reading material there, right? Like, learn plenty. your video games 20 minutes a day. And, yeah, and, and plenty of listening material. I mean, the podcasts, the podcasts are long. Uh, we, we shoot for between an hour and two hours. We, we... Oh, so then this is nothing for you. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. No, uh, you know, uh, we, we usually don't go as much as, as two hours. We try to keep it between an, uh, an hour and 90 minutes, but, but sometimes mm -hmm. uh, Alex won't stop talking. As, as now you know as well uh you know we do a lot of two-parters and uh some of those two-parters are planned uh but mm -hmm. most of those two-parters are oh well this was our topic and alex talked so much that we only got halfway through it so in part or two you discovered way more than you thought you would and so yeah. now it needs two parts exactly justice yeah so they're they're long but they're they're deep dives uh, again you know if if you're if you're interested in video game history and uh, that kind of thing. There's there's a lot of rewarding material in there, but if it's but you know you definitely got to be into it because we our our niche and and it is admittedly a niche is is trying to go a little deeper, trying to give more context, trying to give give more information for for the people that were like me that looked at what was out there and was like this is great, but wouldn't it be great if there was more? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. You know. Oh sure. Your love, our gain. That's right. Knowledge. There you go. <laughs> well, excellent. Like Stephen said, I guess all the links down below and all the socials, and I'm sure he would love for you to follow them on. But that's our show. 
I believe here. So you can hit us up sometime on Twitter at Super Mega Crash. You can send us an email to supermegacrash at gmail.com. You can go find us on Instagram to view the weekly icon art that Stephen puts his time and love into. You can also support the show by liking and leaving reviews on your preferred platform and even going to patreon.com forward slash pencil and paper productions to support the show. You can tell your friends. Find us on the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network or just search Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo on, let's see, <clears throat> Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon Music, and even YouTube.com forward slash Pencil Paper Productions. Thank you so much for listening. I am Lacey O'Finley. And I am Stephen White. And you can join us again next time, Super Mega Crash siblings. But until then, game on. This has been a Pencil and Paper Podcast Network production.